Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, where you will find messages from various speakers here at Eastgate House of Prayer Mission Base, both a house of prayer and a praying church. We pray that you are blessed through this message and that a greater measure of truth is revealed to you as you listen. This morning I was listening to a podcast and uh, they were sharing on the life and the story of Nehemiah and I guess I'd forgotten about the story but but what I was reminded of is in Nehemiah chapter 8 Ezra comes and they had lost the law of Moses and all of a sudden they have it back again and they're so excited about it and so in in Nehemiah chapter 8 it literally says that Ezra brings the law, Ezra blesses the Lord, and he opens the book in the sight of all of the people. And when he opened it up, all the people stood up. Ezra blesses the Lord, and all the people answered, amen, amen, with the lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so like, I could come and I could share a word and I could say a lot of really awesome spiritual things that are probably true and that's awesome. But what I refuse to do is neglect the word of the Lord. And so this morning, like I I wanna share out of Galatians 5, but I want us corporately, we're gonna stand together and we're actually gonna read the entirety of, of Galatians chapter five because this is the word of the Lord and I want us as a people to honor the word of the Lord. Like this is, this is actually how we say like, Jesus, you're worthy because we value your words and your heart revealed through scripture more than, than we honor the words of taught or of whoever shares from this place. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in bringing us like a really good word if we neglect the word of God. So let's all stand together. I want to read out of Galatians chapter 5. I'm reading from the Amplified. And it says, It was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery which you once removed. Notice, it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation, Christ will actually be of no benefit to you. For you will lack the faith in Christ that is necessary for salvation. Once more, I solemnly affirm to every man who receives circumcision as a supposed requirement of salvation that he is under obligation and required to keep the whole law. But you have been severed from Christ if you seek to be justified. Through the law, you have fallen from grace. You have lost your grasp on God's unmerited favor and blessing. For we, not relying on the law, but through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, by faith, we are waiting confidently for the hope of righteousness, the completion of our salvation. For if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only faith activated and expressed and working through love. You were running the race well. Who has interfered and prevented you from obeying the truth? 
This deceptive persuasion is not from him who called you to freedom in Christ. A little leaven, it actually leavens the whole batch. It perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you, whoever he is, will have to hear the penalty. There was false teaching invading the church. That's what he's speaking of here. But as for me, brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, as I had done before I met Christ, and as some accuse me of doing now as necessary for salvation, why am I still being persecuted by Jews? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross to unbelieving Jews has been abolished. I wish that those who, were who are troubling you by teaching that circumcision is necessary for salvation would even go all the way and castrate themselves. For you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness, selfishness. But through love, serve and seek the best for one another. For the whole law concerning human relationships is fulfilled in one precept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, you shall have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit. But if you bite and devour one another in bickering and in strife, watch out that you along with your entire fellowship are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God and His precepts. For the sinful nature has its desire, which is opposed to the Spirit. And the desire of the Spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the Spirit, are in direct opposition to one another. They're continually in conflict so that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do. But if you are guided and led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Amen. Now the practices of the sinful nature are clearly evident. There's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, total irresponsibilities, lack of self-control, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions that promote heresies, envy, drunkenness, right, uh, riotous behavior, and other things like these. I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of His presence within us, is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity godly character and moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must not become conceited, challenging or provoking one another, envying one another. And so, Father, this morning we receive your word. We receive this promise that we are no longer bound to the law, bound to the law. We are no longer slaves to sin 
We're no longer slaves to, to all the things that the world tries to entangle us in. But this morning, Father, we step boldly into the freedom that your son granted us access to as he bore on that cross. And so this morning, Father, with open hands and open hearts, we won't resist your freedom. We receive it gladly as sons and daughters, as ones who know that we are free. Freedom is written on our foreheads. It's written on our hearts. This is who we are as sons and daughters of the risen Christ Jesus. So this morning, Father, we thank you for freedom. Father, I'm asking that you would meet with us this morning, that you would touch us, that you would encounter our hearts in a real way, and that you would set us free from everything that keeps us bound, that keeps us from knowing you and seeing you rightly. And so we bless you and we love you this morning. Father, we're thankful. In Jesus' name, be seated. Galatians 5, verse 1. I actually, I didn't know what I was going to be sharing on. Kirk asked me to share about two weeks ago. And, you know, for the last two weeks, I've been like, no idea. But I'm not moving until I know what the Lord's saying. And so have to not be a hypocrite to all the things that I say. And so I waited on the Lord. And uh, yesterday, um, I decided to sleep in just a little bit because you guys know I'm not a fan of mornings. And so I slept until 3.30 p.m. And uh, when I woke up, immediately the verse that was on my heart was, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. And I said, okay, Lord, I hear you. Then there were a couple of other things that confirmed it. I was like, okay, we're landing here. And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ, you didn't earn it. You couldn't be holy enough. You couldn't be spiritual enough to earn this freedom. This freedom belongs to you as a child of God. It's yours. And so what's happening here? What's our, what's our context in the book of Galatians? Paul's writing to the Christians in Galatia. And he met them when he had traveled through the area and he had preached Jesus to him. And they all got on board and they were like, yeah, Jesus. They had heard from Paul that, that through faith in Jesus' death for their sins on the cross, they could be forgiven by God. And they were like, we love this word. That's amazing. Pick me. I want to sign up for that. But then a bunch of Jewish religious leaders show up on the scene and they're like, just kidding. We want to add to what Paul actually shared with you. We want to add to this message. These men said that it was good to believe in Jesus, but they also said that men must also be circumcised and that they must also do all these other things in order to earn righteousness before the Lord. And so what Paul actually does is he comes back on the scene, Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 4, and he builds a case against this. He says, uh-uh, not on my watch. It's not happening. And so Paul is clearly saying that the law reveals our sinfulness, but it doesn't provide a way out. The law is good because it shows us how sinful we are and how broken we are, but it doesn't save us out of our sin. It's, it's the cross of Jesus that brings redemption. So Paul's making this clear. And so he tells the Galatians, and by extension to all the Christians, us included, that Christ has set us free. So we must stand firm. What we must do, the imperative, our role, is always based upon what God has already done the indicative. So it's like God doesn't expect us to walk in this if Jesus hadn't already done it. You hear what I'm saying? So it's like because of the cross, because of freedom that Jesus gave to us, 
we get to walk in this. It's not muster it up in your own faith and try harder. It's not do better. It's not strive. It's the work is finished. The end is written. So therefore, I will stand as a free child of God. This is our promise. It's a good word. So we must not let anyone tell us that we must follow all the rules and the restrictions of the law of Moses in order to follow God. Not standing for it. In the Roman Empire, actually, slaves couldn't purchase their own freedom. Like, they, they literally just couldn't. Their masters paid for their freedom to the temple treasury. A god then set them free. No one could enslave them again, for they were now the property of God. Not Yahweh God, but a God. Freed slaves received a document to certify their liberty. What is our certification this morning? It's the cross of Christ. And so here's the promise. Who the Son sets free is free. Amen. This is our promise. And so the reality is, this is a question we, that I want to ask us this morning, and, and I'm, I'm analyzing my own heart too. It's like, are we truly free? You can raise your hand and absolutely say yes. The, the, the cross happened. We are fully free. But we're also working with the reality where it's like, it is, but it's not yet. So yes and amen, I'm free by the blood of Christ, but I'm also growing in freedom. And this is the glory of, of what it looks like to grow in mature as sons and daughters. I am free, and based off of that finished work, I will continue to daily step into freedom. Like, it's amazing. It's good news. And so the second half of that verse actually says, stand firm and don't come under the yoke of slavery. Don't come under it again. If we choose the yoke of slavery over freedom in Christ, Paul makes it really, really clear in verse 4 of chapter 5 that if we choose the yoke of slavery, Christ actually has no value to us. We actually don't need Jesus. We don't need the cross if it's all about fulfilling the law, right? So I refuse to stand in bondage and be bonded to the law and actually not confess my need for Jesus and his cross and his finished work. In, in this, we actually start to believe that we can merit things or blessings based upon our own actions. Like, and we know that that's trash, but often we come under that way of thinking. When you put your trust in your own position or performance for the sake of earning God's blessing, you are indicating that who you are and what you have done is more value to you than who Christ is and what he has done. It's idolatry. Paul says that those who regulate their lives by keeping the law are actually removed from the reign of Christ over their lives. I need the lordship of Jesus. If you trust in your own efforts to keep the law, then you're actually no longer trusting in God's grace. Circumcision or Christ? Law or grace? These are exclusive alternatives, and Paul makes it really, really clear in this chapter. Like, they, they don't go together. They're oil and water. You cannot have it both ways. You must choose. And so the gospel is good news, right? We know that. The gospel is good news. The gospel is an invitation to freedom. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, life to the full. And so my question is, like Cheryl asked this morning, are we living in it? Are we living in the reality of this fullness of life that God wants to give to us? That he's actually already given to us, but it's our conscious decision to walk in it. Could you honestly say that in every area of your walk with God and your life are marked by freedom? Like, I'm not, I'm not there yet. 
I am based on the finished work of Jesus, but I'm still growing in it. And we corporately as a family, I want us together to move into greater freedom. So, so the definition of freedom actually kind of threw me off when I read it. Because the definition of freedom is actually the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. It speaks of having a right to do something or entitlement to something. And I immediately was like super offended by that. I was like, I don't have a right to say anything. Who do I think I am to, you know, whatever. This is like false freedom. But then the Lord actually, the Lord actually checked my spirit. Like he was like, no, actually in a secular context, freedom is really dangerous, right? Because if we have being enslaved to the world plus trying to operate in freedom, we get everyone trying to push their own agendas and we get lawlessness. In a secular context, yeah, freedom is the most dangerous thing ever. But in a biblical Christ-honoring context, freedom is the key. Being enslaved to Christ plus living out the freedom he gives us equals God's people offering themselves freely in the day of his power in holy garment out of Psalm 110. Like it's, it's a good word. In a biblical, Christ-honoring context, freedom is everything. Freedom in Christ is not permission to do whatever we want. That's free will. Let's define it rightly. But freedom in Christ actually looks like a heart surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And that's where I want to be. So the longer that the body of Christ actually dwells in bondage, the longer that we stay in our own junk and, and in our own slavery and all that kind of stuff, there's actually more resistance against the kingdom of God moving and advancing. Because here's the reality. We're the bride. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We get to partner with him. We get to stand with him and see his plans and purposes established. But if I'm living in bondage, I'm not an awesome tool for God to use. If I'm enslaved by my junk, the kingdom is not going to be able to move through me in power in the same way that as if I was walking in full freedom in Jesus. The more that you and I step into freedom, into this freedom that we're being invited into, the more that God has access to our hearts and the more that we can actually partner with him to build kingdom. This is why this is key. Like our freedom actually prevents God to have full access to us to use us. And so what are some of the primary things that keep us from walking in freedom? I just have a few here. I'm sure there's, there's many more. Fear of man is huge. Galatians 1.10 actually like wrecked me when I was a teenager. Once I, once I got right with the Lord in grade 12, like I noticed how I would consistently come under fear of man. When I'd show up at school and people would be like, Todd, do you go to church? I'd be like, no, absolutely not not telling you I go to church. And the Lord was very quick to correct me. He was like, taught, you're coming under the fear of man. I didn't even have that language. No one taught me about this, but I was like, whoa, I'm totally enslaved to what people think about me. But Galatians 1 verse 10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, then I would not be a servant of Christ. Can't be both. And so this is, a, this is a question I would ask is like, are our life decisions, are the things that we choose to do, the way that we choose to spend our time, the way that we invest our money, are they filtered through the lens of what does my mom think? What does my spouse think? What would my pastor think? What do my peers think? Like if, if all of our actions are actually filtered through the lens of others, 
that's something that, that we actually need to get broken off of us. Like, that is the fear of man, where actually our decisions are filtered through this reality. And, and the counter thing that we actually do need is we need the fear of the Lord. We need to actually bow in reverence under the lordship of Jesus. Like, like God, I'm not interested in bowing to what others think around me. Jesus, I'm concerned about what you think about me. Your blood does speak a better word. And that's what I'm tuning my ear to. What else gets in the way of this freedom? Um, insecurity is a huge thing. Security is a massive thing. If we're always comparing ourselves to what others are doing or not doing, oh, well, they're not doing it, so I'm not going to do it, or they're doing it, so I'm going to do it, we're not free. We're not free in that place. Insecurity looks like our greatest fear being not congratulated when we do something good, right? They didn't applaud me. They didn't tell me I did awesome, so I guess I sucked. It was really bad. It's funny because we think that way. Insecurity looks like I'm so scared of getting left out. What would happen if no one invited me to the thing? What would happen if no one called me and told me I was important? Insecurity looks like I'm scared of speaking up. I'm going to shrink back. I'm going to shy away. When I need to be a voice of justice in my school or in my workplace or, or when I actually have the word of the Lord burning in me but I'm scared to release it because I don't know what people will think, this insecurity will keep us from walking in freedom every time. Insecurity looks like always being afraid that you don't measure up. It's that inner self-talk, which I would argue probably has some influence from the enemy. It's not just your own thinking, but it's that thinking of like, I don't measure up. When you look in the mirror, what do you say about yourself? You know what I'm saying? It's this measure of insecurity that keeps us from walking in freedom with Jesus. If we're always looking for a new relationship, I just need more friends so I can be affirmed and, and I can have people around me telling me they love me and telling me I'm cool. Or maybe it's dating. Like, man, one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, because I need that measure of affirmation. This is insecurity at work and it keeps us from the freedom that Christ has invited us into. What else keeps us from, from this freedom that Christ is offering us? It's shame. We all have past, we all have stories, and we actually all have current stuff that we might be walking in that we're like, I'm totally ashamed. If you only knew what I'm, what I'm doing when I close, my room, close the door to my room at night, like if you only knew the stuff that I'm doing in private, the things that I'm doing in secret, like if you only knew, even still, shame is not your portion. Like, even in light of your junk, even in light of what you might be engaging with, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is an invitation back to friendship and nearness with a good dad. Shame looks like these lies where we say, God's disappointed in me. God will never forgive me. I have too much baggage. I can't forgive myself. I need to clean up my act before God can forgive me. Need to do better. I need to try harder because I'm obviously not good enough. Not as spiritual as that one. This is shame. Pride can keep pride that keeps us from seeing ourselves rightly. This actually keeps us from freedom. Pride looks like I have a hard time being corrected. Don't try to correct me. I don't take criticism well. Pride looks like you're constantly judging other people for being less spiritually. 
If you notice that someone's like less loving than you are, you're coming with condemnation. If you notice that someone's less popular than you, you're coming with condemnation. This is pride. Pride looks like refusing to appear weak. Pride looks like, I always think I'm right. I'm never wrong. Try to correct me. No way. You say the sky's blue, but I say it's purple. It's definitely purple. I promise. Like you, you cannot be right no matter what. Self-preservation keeps us from freedom in Christ. It looks like hyper-independence. I always need to keep my walls up. Don't get too close. Like stay, stay at an arm's length. Don't get too close. I'm not doing family. No way. No way. Self-preservation looks like I never let my emotional guards down. You'll never see me cry. You'll, you'll never see me actually function in my weakness and in my brokenness. You'll actually never see the real me. Self-preservation looks like I have a lot of secrets that I'm keeping. There are things in my heart, there are things in my life that you will never know. You could ask every question. You could hang out with me 24-7 and I'd never tell you. This is self-preservation. Self-preservation looks like I can take care of myself. I'll never let anyone help me because I know they'll let me down anyway. My guards are up. And this will keep us from the freedom that Christ is offering us. If we have an unwillingness to confess or repent, hi, that's pretty opposite to freedom. Even when I'm aware of my junk, like even if I've gotten rid of the whole pride aspect and I see how broken and messed up I am, I'm still not telling anyone. There's no way I'll let you in. There's no way I'm going to confess my stuff because I don't know how you're going to see me. I don't know how you're going to view me. I don't know if you're going to think less of me anymore. It is the gift of repentance. It's called a gift because it's a good thing. It's not the burden of repentance. You know what I'm saying? Like this is an invitation. An unwillingness to confess or repent is actually the spirit of rebellion working within us. Rebellion is opposed to the gift of repentance. It's this conscious choosing of continuing to do the wrong thing. Because as long as I confess, I never have to correct my behavior. As long as I never repent, I can keep doing my stuff. I can keep making bad life choices. And I don't care what my church family has to say. I don't even care what God has to say. All of a sudden, I've rebuked the Lordship of Christ based on my unwillingness to repent. And the Lord goes, it's not happening in my church anymore. I'm calling them into freedom. And this is our hope this morning. Addictions will keep us from freedom in Christ. Addictions to pornography, to lust, to, to premarital sex, to alcohol, to money, to social advancement or social popularity. If we're addicted to the affirmation of man. If we're addicted to weight loss or constantly thinking about self, all of this keeps us from freedom in Christ. Something that's totally been stirring on my heart as of late is, is another thing that keeps us from freedom is actually believing in false prophets and false teachers. Deception. Things that actually aren't true. And so I would ask us this morning, like, who has spiritual influence in your life? Who is speaking into your life and into your heart with spiritual authority? And are they preaching and teaching the word of God and nothing more or nothing less? We need truth. And I can say with confidence that the bride of Christ actually has a massive amount of spiritual weight that's been put on them. We're carrying way more than we're supposed to. It's excess spiritual weight and it needs to get shedded off. 
Like it, it needs to come off the bride of Christ so that we can actually run and be propelled and have the energy and the zeal to run into all that God has for us. I, I honestly, I believe that most of the time this, this, this weight that we're not supposed to carry has actually come from false truths, ideologies, and spiritual yokes that we were never meant to carry. There's been a lot of talk of Jezebel as of late. Like, do, do spirits like Jezebel have any measure of stronghold in our lives? Like, are, are there false prophets or false teachers that actually have authority in our lives? And unforgiveness. It's a clear one. We cannot walk in freedom. Like, the, God himself says, like, if you can't forgive, I can't forgive you. Like, this, this is a strong word from the Lord, and it's a correction to our hearts. Like, if, if we're harboring unforgiveness, like, you are bound, you are bound, you are bound. Forgiveness is key. We need to operate in forgiveness. If we want more freedom in our lives, even in ways that seem small, we need to take an honest look at the day-to-day things that we do. We need to look at the things that we've come to believe about ourselves, about other people, about God. And honestly, usually it's not super obvious how we're getting trapped. Like usually it's like, um, you know, the Psalm 1 language of like, blessed is the one who doesn't walk with the wicked, stand with the sinners or sit with the mockers. It's like there is this progression that's happening where there's further engagement with sin. You know what I'm saying? And so in the same way, like more often than not, we think we're walking and then all of a sudden we're in deep bondage and we're like, how do we get here? It's because it happens in the small things. It's usually not obvious how we're getting trapped. On the surface, the beliefs and behaviors that hold us back might even seem like good things or like ways that we can protect ourselves. Like, I can take care of myself. I don't need you. But those beliefs often have an ugly flip side that's rooted in fear. It's the thought pattern of like, I'll never let anyone help me because I know they'll let me down. So all of a sudden, we separate ourselves from our family. We separate ourselves from the ones that we're supposed to walk with. And this is exactly why praying the prayer of David in Psalm 139 is key. Like, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Anyone that knows me and has been walking with me, there, there's actually been this, like, paralyzing fear of releasing my voice. Like, for, for as long as I can remember, there's been this thing of like, Todd, shut up. You don't have a voice to speak. Not in my family. My home life, I was like empowered times 1,000. Girl, you are amazing. You go. But external voices and even, even lies that the enemy put in my head paralyzed me in fear. Like I, I was scared. Like I remember even when I first started serving and leading the youth, like every single night I'd be driving home and I'd be like, Lord, who even am I? to even like tell them to follow you. Like I, I don't even have authority to like preach a message that isn't even my own. Like that, this is how much I was paralyzed by fear. It was actually only about two or three weeks ago where, where at our young adults gathering, like I shared this with a few people and, and they were just praying for me and deliverance happened y'all, like straight up. It was so good. What the Lord literally did is he like RTF'd me really hard and he brought me through all these memories of things that I didn't even remember. Like memories that I like, I wouldn't consciously sit here and be like, hmm, I feel like my voice is unworthy because of this situation or because of this moment. Like 
I, I, I didn't even remember these six. And the Lord goes, this, 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 this. Boom, breaks them off of me. Like, I am free. This is my freedom story in this season. What's yours? What's yours? Because it's not just so that I can get up here and be really happy because Jesus set me free while all y'all sit down there and you're like, oh, but what about me? It's like, no, this is for us. This is for our family. This is for the church globally. Let's step into freedom. Like that's a good word. So we've been gifted and granted this freedom because of the cross of Christ. What do we do with it? Have five things that I want us to do with this freedom. One, to guard it. Two, walk in it. Three, don't waste it. Four, call others into it. And five, extend grace through it. So let's work through those five real quick. One, guard it. Especially from the people who would try to pressure you to follow the law. If you have voices in your life, internal internal or external, that are saying, no, 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 no. Be yoked to the bond of religious slavery. Like, come under it. You're supposed to. We're going to rebuke those together. Paul was confident the Galatians would resist the one leading them in the wrong direction. So we can. I refuse to come under the religious spirit. I refuse to live in fear. And so I'm going to guard my freedom. I'm going to guard it. Secondly, we're going to walk in it. Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Amen. I'm going to say amen whether you guys do or not. I'm excited. This is a good word. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Romans 8, Cheryl just quoted it. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Come on, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Man, you want to read about freedom? Get into Romans 8. It is good. So number two, walk in it. Number three, don't waste it. Paul warns the church in Galatia to not waste their freedom in Christ by selfishly serving ourselves, but instead to serve one another in love. The entire law is fulfilled in that one word. The greatest of these, love. Galatians 5 verse 13 and 14 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor of preferring one another. This is what freedom grants us access to do. I will love you way better if I'm free. Don't waste it. Four, call others into this freedom. I had a dream back in 2018 where I was literally like, there was this warden lady and she puts me in jail and I'm like, girl, I did nothing wrong. Why am I here? And I'm fighting with her. Like I, we are like, we are not a fan of each other. We're fighting with each other. And she says, nah, you're going to jail. I go in jail 
And when I get in my little cell, my cell was actually upgraded. My cell was way nicer than everyone else's. So I was like, okay, well, I guess, I guess that's good. If I'm going to be in jail, I hope it's a nicer cell. And actually, this was really sobering. As I was walking through the jail, it wasn't a bunch of people who are living apart from Jesus. It wasn't all my atheist friends. It wasn't, you know, people who are apart from Christ. Throughout the jail were all people that were a part of the body of Christ. Okay? So I get to my cell. And in my cell, I have this like touch screen, like how you can order at McDonald's, like the big touch screen like that. And on my touch screen, I could actually like go wherever I wanted to. There was like a list of places. And so I would sit on this little like pillow or like a carpet, almost like Aladdin. And I could like press wherever I wanted to go and I would just go. So in the dream, of course, I had to go to Walmart and McDonald's. That's where I went. Explain that. Anyway, so... But one day when I go out, I, I go on my little carpet and leave the jail and go and do my thing. And while I'm out, I think to myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have to go back. I'm out. Like I could just leave. I could just like go on to wherever I want to go. Like I'm totally free. But, but then all of a sudden I'm like, no, 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 no. The authorities like put me in jail. So like I want to be integral. Like I want to honor the authorities and I want to, you know, I'm not going to be rebellious and get myself in more trouble because I, like, left jail. So on I went, and I went back to jail. It's pretty clear now, but when I first had the dream, I was like, Lord, I have no idea what that means. But the Lord was like, hi, hello. Reality check. And this is the reality. The Lord checked me. Actually, it was two days after I'd had the dream, and the Lord was like, A, talking to me about me and trying to be integral and thinking that I was doing good by keeping the law and going back to jail. Instead, I'm actually free, and freedom is my portion. But the Lord spoke this so clearly to me. He was like, how do you think you're going to have a role in seeing all your friends and your family, the body of Christ, get free from jail if you're living there too? And so, like, if I'm going to be up here and I'm going to be sharing, like, I'm not interested in being in bondage and being in slavery and then inviting you guys all into a freedom that I'm not walking in hypocrisy. No thanks. We're all going to grow in freedom together and we're all going to leave the jail with shouts of joy and victory. We're going to do it and we're going to do it together. Luke 4 verse 18, 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We get to call others into this freedom, but we literally can't if we're in jail ourselves. Even if it's a nice upgraded cell, even if it looks and feels really awesome, I could stay here a while, it's fine. Uh-uh, we're getting free and we're doing this together. Number five, in this freedom, we want to extend grace through it. And so what does this look like? Like if, if I get free, my role is not to go, oh, I'm condemning you because you're not free yet. Praying for you, talk to you. Like, this is not our response. Like, our response is, you're in bondage? Come on, you're coming with me. We're going together. Let's leave. We're getting out. We're not staying in this any longer. And so for me to reject you or condemn you from the place of freedom is wrong. It's actually not freedom. I'm just as bound as you are if I think my freedom makes me more elite than you. Like, it's wrong. I actually had a dream, another dream, Oh, I don't know, maybe about a week, two weeks ago, where I'm, I'm standing with Holy Spirit. I just know that it's Holy Spirit in the dream. And there's this kid in front of me, 
And the kid's probably like four or five years old. And I know just by revelation that it's my child. And I'm like, yes, Lord, please give me a child. Amen. And this child's in front of me and Holy Spirit is saying, if your child um, stole something or if your child lied or if your child, you know, whatever, Holy Spirit was giving me all these different scenarios, this is how you parent your child. So Holy Spirit was just like teaching me how to parent. But the core theme of what was happening in this dream was every single time Holy Spirit would say to me, remind your child that they're still a part of the family. Remind your child that they're still a part of the family. No matter what they do, no matter what sin that they commit, no matter what they choose to operate in, no matter what, remind them that they're still a part of the family. Remind them, remind them, remind them. That was the core thing that Holy Spirit was just drilling into me. And so in the same way, freedom is not entrusted to us so that we can condemn. We don't get to flaunt our freedom like it's some... This is just for me and never for you. Freedom empowers us to say you are still a part of the family and I get to call you into freedom. This is extending grace. And this freedom should empower us to function as a family. So I heard this story of of a man and he was passing by a bunch of elephants. He suddenly stops And he is confused by the fact that these huge, full-grown creatures, these big, big, big elephants, are only held on by a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It It was super obvious that the elephants could, at any time, just totally get away from the rope. At any time, they could break free from these ropes that they were tied to, but for some reason, they couldn't, and they didn't. This man, he saw the trainer nearby and he asked, why? Why are these beautiful, magnificent animals just standing there making no attempt to get away? They're tied on by this rope and they totally could get away, but they're not moving. The trainer replies and he says, well, when they're very young and much smaller than the rope, we tie them up. And at that age, it's strong enough to hold them. As they grow up, They're conditioned to believe that they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, and so they never even try to break free. They don't even attempt. They don't even attempt. If I I could have my time back, or if I could go and hang out with like 12, 13, 14-year-old Todd, I'd be like, girl, you have no idea. If you just stepped into freedom, you have no idea what God would do you would have no idea how God could use you. If I could have my time back, I would go and tell 13, 14-year-old talk, girl, walk in freedom. Stop wasting your time in bondage. You have no idea that you're tied by a rope that you can just break free from. And so I say the same to you today. We have full authority and full power to break free from this rope. It's a weak little thing. We are full grown. We're, we're moving into maturity in Christ and we have all the authority in the world to say, uh-uh. Not on my watch. The spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in in us. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is yeah, there is freedom. Let's all stand together. We're going to pray. Let's open our hands like we're receiving a gift. Jesus, thank you 
Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the redemptive story that's yours, but that you've actually entrusted and have given to us. And and we get to call your story our own. Thank you that the cross has set us free. Thank you that it's by your blood and by your love that we get full access, that we get full freedom, that we have full permission to run the race with perseverance that you've called us to. Thank you, Father, that this freedom is not just given to us in part, but it's been given to us fully. And so we agree and we decree that we as a people, we will guard this freedom. We will walk in it. We'll walk in it boldly. We won't waste it. We will call others into it and we will extend grace through it. And Father, we refuse right now as your people to stand in bondage any longer. No longer will we be bound by the chains that the world tries to entangle us by, but we as your bride will be a testimony to the earth that freedom is accessible today. That freedom is our portion and we will step into it boldly and we will call all those around us into it, people who who know Jesus and people who don't. And this is our testimony that we will proclaim and decree and declare boldly and we will call many to come and join with us in this freedom. And so Jesus, I thank you that even right now you're highlighting things in our hearts and in our minds, false truths, ideologies, false perceptions, lies, soul ties, all this stuff that hinders us and keeps us from walking in this freedom. I thank you right now that you're highlighting things. Father, I thank you that you are searching our hearts and you're showing us the wicked things in us that keep us from knowing you and seeing you fully. And so we'll wait. Wait to hear your voice. Wait to know what you're highlighting so that we can actively come against everything that's keeping us from this freedom. And so Jesus, we thank you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude, with thanks and with praise that you would even think of offering us this freedom. Like you are so good and you are so kind. Two of people that that were bound, you could have just left us bound, but instead you said, no, for the sake of freedom, I will come. And I will set them free. And thank you, Jesus, for this gift. We are so grateful. Don't find us, like, shrinking back or avoiding this reality. Like, we will run with confidence into this freedom that you have gifted to us. And so, Jesus, go before us the rest of this week and help us to find new and fresh freedom so that next week we'd be able to gather together and be able to boldly proclaim our freedom stories that we'd be able to actually testify of your goodness in our lives this week, that we'd be able to testify that I am more free this Sunday than I was last. And thank you, Jesus, for this reality that you're inviting us into. We won't deny it. We won't shrink back. We won't shy away. We won't avoid it. We say yes and amen to this freedom. Jesus, we love you. And we say yes. Here's our hearts. Here's our minds. Here we are, God come and set us free as a family, corporately, as Eastgate House of Prayer, but as the bride of Christ, as representatives of your church. We don't want to be just as bound as those who are lost in darkness. Like we choose to claim this freedom. And so, Father, we thank you and we bless you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. To find more teaching resources or to join us via live stream, visit our website at eastgatehouseofprayer.ca.